Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. We continue in our series on Revelation. Uh, we are looking at the church at Sardis today. And the message, the short of it is, wake up church, and he tells us this in his letter to the church of Sardis. You see, I once had a friend who described a church to me as one that wanted to seem rather than to be. And they were saying that everyone wanted the church to be known for what it does rather than for the Jesus that they were supposedly serving. This is a great introduction to the church at Sardis. Hear Jesus' heart this morning as he reminds the church to return to him. And before we do that, if you'll bear with me just for a minute or two, we need to look at a little bit of background as we've done the last couple of weeks with these churches so you can see how it applies to not only them but to us today. You see, Sardis was a great city at the time Jesus gave this message to John. It was a wealthy city that was beginning to decline. It was positioned on main roads which allowed flow through and in the city. And you see, the Sardis, I don't know if you know this, but you know, some of us, we might have some money in our wallets, some coins in our, our pockets, or maybe in our car uh, tray or something like that. But the whole thing of money actually originated with Sardis. Sardis was a great city, and they were the first to ever have coinage minted in Sardis, the first people to actually mint coins, which meant that the coins weren't actually worth the money that they were representing. In other words, back before this coinage, you dealt with gold and silver. But now the coinage represented the money that they had on hand. So just like we see today, just like we see with the money that we have, it's the, the value of a dollar goes up and down, doesn't it? I, I remember the stories of... Yeah, preacher, we used to get R.C. and a moon pie for a dime. You know, we can't get that anymore because the the representation changes. But that started with Sardis. And then also Sardis was known for its lack of morals and apathy. You see, if you go back and look at the remains of the temple that was built for the worship of God, we see that there were columns that were 60 feet and became the location of where many immoral and sexual acts were conducted. Yet they labeled it worship because the temple was not for the one true God. The temple was for their God that they worshiped named Sybil. They had a false sense of security, thinking that they were in control of their own destiny. And Sardis was pleasure-seeking, full of themselves, And full of the audience. Folks, we need to be careful that when we worship, that we don't make the worship all about what we want and call that worship if it's something God doesn't want. And so, as we see the fall of Sardis, I'm going to show you a picture on the screen about the fall of Sardis. This is actually uh, an image. As you can see, Sardis was on top of a large plateau. So it was pretty good in the sense of being defensible, being able to keep people away. But the Greek historian Herodias wrote about the fall of Sardis in 546 B.C. In other words, over 500 years before even Christ came. 
Corsius was the king of Lydia, and he believed that Sardis was untouchable. That the city on top of this natural plateau meant that any armies that wanted to attack them, A, would have to climb up the plateau, and then B, if they made it that far, they would have to get over the walls. And so they were very confident. As a matter of fact, they were overconfident in their ability to defend themselves. So he had been in battle, Croesus had been in a battle with king of Persia, Cyrus, for some time. But once the winter got there, he retreated and went back home, and he just figured they would take up later on. But unknown to Croesus, Cyrus pursued all of his soldiers. And he said, okay, men, I'm going to tell you what. I've got this big old pot of money right here. And so if any of you soldiers can find a way for us to attack Sardis, then I'm going to give you all that money. So those guys were motivated. And so one day, one of the soldiers saw one of the Croesus' soldiers on top of the wall, and he was looking over the wall, and his helmet fell. Now his helmet fell down the wall, down the plateau, down to the bottom. So the soldier looked and said, hmm, I'm going to watch this. So he looked, and that soldier made his way down the wall. Then he got to the top of the plateau, and he he started walking on a hidden trail that nobody knew about. And then so he walked down that hidden trail, retrieved his helmet, and went back. So what do you think Cyrus's army did? He got a group of his special forces friends, and they went up that trail, and they sacked that city. They thought they were impenetrable. But yet there was always a hidden feature that they didn't think anybody would know about. The problem was, is that they did not defend their city because they thought that they were already defensible. Sardis was two things. It was overconfident and complacent. Sardis was overconfident and complacent. Sardis placed all their confidence in their natural defenses while neglecting their own responsibility to defend their city. Now, I know you're like, oh, man, preacher, come on. I don't want a history lesson. I want to hear the Bible. You're about to hear the Bible, but you are going to hear it in the context to which it was written. And anybody with common sense can know that in our lives, in our spiritual lives, if we play to our strengths and never work on our weaknesses... We will be vulnerable, and that is where the devil devil will hit us hardest, is in our weaknesses. We cannot be overconfident when it comes to living the Christian life. We cannot be complacent. Like the Sardians, we in America thought we were untouchable until September 11th, 2001, when America got a big black eye, and we found out that we can be touched, that we can be hurt. And then a war was started after that. Be careful, my friends. Don't make the same mistake that Sardis did. Do not spend all of your effort chasing pleasure or selfish gain while neglecting the need to be on your guard. First Peter 5.8 tells us, it says that stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You may not feel like it, but you've got a cute family. You've got cute friends. You've got a cute pew. You've got a cute preacher. Amen. All right, you've got all of these great things. I was joking about that last one. But you've got all of these great things, and you 
Don't be lulled into thinking that Satan won't use what's dearest to you against you. Ask a family who has a wayward child. Ask a church who is fighting. Ask a family where people won't talk to one another. And you see that people you are supposed to love and the things that you are supposed to do, things get in the way. It's called drama. It's called evil. It's called selfishness. It's called sin. And Satan is the main purveyor of that. You would like to think that there were ground rules like, Satan, my kids are off limits. Satan, my marriage is off limits. Satan, my walk with God is off limits. You can't touch it. Well, i got news for you. Satan can touch whatever God allows him to touch. Sardis today. You would think that Sardis would have learned their lesson, but they did not. They were sacked again in 498 B.C. And they were decimated after an earthquake 17 years after Jesus died. Today, Sardis lies in ruins. And you saw the picture a moment ago. It's about 50 miles west of Izmir, Turkey. You can go there today and you can see the remnants of a society, of a culture, of a city that thought that they were untouchable. So, with all of that said, let's hear Jesus' characterization of the church that was in Sardis at that time. First of all, we see that Jesus knows all things. When I say all, I mean all. The good things, the bad things, your hidden things, your secret things, your things that you won't tell anybody else, those things that you even won't admit to yourself. Jesus knows all things. And it says here in verse 1 of Chapter 3, he says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. Those of you that have been following along, remember, the angel represents a messenger, probably a pastor, a leader, someone who is communicating this to the church. And he says, this is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. He has a sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. The seven stars have been brought up before in chapter 1. We'll talk about that too. He says, I know all the things that you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. He says, look, I know you got a good reputation to be in the church on the way, but you are dead inside. It's almost like when you see this beautiful tree and then you look in the middle of it and it's rotting from the inside. That was Sardis. And that's what Jesus was addressing. Jesus introduces himself as the master over the spirits and the church. If you go back and he said, look, the sevenfold spirits. Remember, the number seven, if you remember, is a number of completion, of finality. In other words, by saying the seven spirits, he is introducing himself as the Holy Spirit. We see a glimpse of the Trinity right here. In other words, he's saying every bit of the spirit I encompass. And then when he says the seven stars, back in Revelation 1, we remember that the seven stars are the seven churches that these letters are being written to. So what Jesus is saying here is he is saying that I am the authority over the church, I guard the church, and I am filled with the Holy Spirit. 
That is what his introduction is. And he knows all things. That's why you can't hide from him. You can't hide your secret thoughts. You can't hide those things that you don't want anybody to know. You can't hide those things that you feel guilty of. You can't hide those things that you feel super proud of. He knows everything. He knows everything about the church that's in the church and the people in the church. He knows all things. This means that Jesus knows everything about his church. It also means that Jesus knows that you are here today and he knows the position of your heart towards him. And he knows that when your heart is committed to him, he knows when it is far away and he knows when you need to when he needs to get your attention. And it says here, look, he says that he knows the church has a reputation of being committed to him. But really, they're not. The church in Sardis was much like the city of Sardis. And that's the way it happens sometimes. Sometimes churches, instead of making a difference in their community, they become just like their community. It looked very good on the outside. They had great attendance. They had great works. And yet there was something missing. Have you ever heard a description of the church being a mile wide and an inch thick? You ever heard somebody say that? Well, they're a mile wide and an inch thick. What does that mean? That means that you can have a lot of members, you can do a lot of things, and you can be on the forefront of a lot of news stories and have all of these great things going on, but there is no discipleship, there is no multiplication, there is no people growing in the Lord. They all stay as babies in Christ because no one is challenging them to go the next step. That was Sardis. Jesus saw them for who they are. They had no fight. They had no struggle and they had no persecution. Just like the city that they lived in, they stood for nothing. They defended nothing. All they wanted to do was fill their own desires, whether they be moral or immoral. And they were soft. The church was soft, just like the city. So what we see here is the church at Sardis was not losing the battle to spread the gospel. They weren't even in the fight. The gospel was not even on their radar like many Christians today. For many people, their church experience is, how can I get my touchy-feelies? And if I don't get my touchy-feely, I'm going to go to another place that will give me a touchy-feely. My friends, those touchy-feelies won't help you when you're in the fight of your life. Those touchy-feelies won't help you when you need to share the gospel with a friend or a family member. That touchy-feely won't help you when you need it most. Because, my friend, your walk with Christ is not a touchy-feely. It is a fact. There are days where you will feel like you will take on hell with a water pistol. And there are other days where you barely feel like you are a Christian. That is the Christian life. That is what we live. That is why we fight to live that life. But Sardis was not in that fight. As a matter of fact, you know why they didn't have persecution? Why they didn't have all this oppression, why they didn't have martyrdom, why they didn't have all this stuff, Satan wasn't worried about them. He had them right where he wanted them. They were doing nothing for the gospel, which is where my fear is, is that when the Jesus Christ comes back, there will be some churches that will never know because their faith is put in the pew they're sitting in or the roster that their name is on and not the fact that the Holy Spirit is indwelling them because they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The church at Sardis was dead. 
Every church has a reputation, but Jesus knows its heart. Our church has a reputation, and Jesus knows its heart. But for the church at Sardis, their reputation didn't match the reality. A great reputation is no indication of true spiritual character. Jesus saw them for who they were. And the thing is, is that the church being dead in Sardis meant that they were not a threat for Satan. With Sardis being classified as a dead church, everyone simply attended church and lived like they wanted to live outside of the church. This is hauntingly familiar to the church today. My friend, if you live like hell during the week, one day a week in church ain't going to help. It doesn't matter how good you act on Sunday morning. It doesn't matter how hard you pray, how loud you sing, and how much money you give. Those are great things. But if there is no life change, if there is no desire to follow Christ, to read His Word, and to become holy as He wants us to become holy, you are just going through the motions. That's what Sardis was doing. Matter of fact, Paul warned Timothy about this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. Paul described this type of church to Timothy. He said, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. So stay away from people like that. Look, we don't need pious, upright, snooty people in Homeland Park Baptist Church. We need real people. We need people that are following the Lord. The reason the church at Sardis was at peace is because they stood for nothing. The second thing we see is that we need to wake up before it's too late. It says in verses 2 and 3, Wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even when what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of God. Go back. To what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief in the night. I remember wasn't too long ago we had some we had heard about some storms that were going to come through Anderson, and I remember us going to bed, and I remember kapow about two or three in the morning. And all of a sudden, I realized, up oh, the storm's here. So I started getting my stuff ready. Maybe we'll get a call. Maybe we'll go out and, and help somebody out. But it was unexpected. It woke me up from my sleep. And my friend, one day, kapow, Jesus Christ is going to be back. And we will have to live with whatever decisions that we made. So wake up and be alert and strengthen what you have left. You see, Jesus is close to writing the church at Sardis off. He's close to just saying, look, okay, I'm done with you. But he loves them enough to give them a chance. Every one of us has the same opportunity. When Jesus puts his spiritual mirror in front of our face, he gives us the chance to strengthen what we have. Look, you may not be where you want to be, but you can use what you've got, dedicate it to God, and watch him multiply. It's not up to your ability. It's up to his ability to help you grow. Folks, there is always hope in Jesus Christ. And the spiritual slate of a church is represented by the environment they were sent to change. Folks, we don't need to look like Homeland Park to minister in Homeland Park. 
We need to represent Homeland Park. We need to have people from the community in our church, but they don't need to behave the same way. We need to live the difference. We need to show love. We need to share the gospel, and we need to continue to be a light in this dark place. Because that's what draws people here, is the light, the light of Jesus Christ. And he says here, Get back to the word of God. Jesus is telling the church when he says return to what you have heard and believed at first. He's saying get back in my word. Again, we see the answer to wandering away from Jesus. Wandering away from your faith and feeling far away from God is a need for repentance. If you have ever felt like God is far away, he has not moved. You have moved. Sin has got into your life and you need to repent and confess of those things and turn and go in the other direction because there will be a day of reckoning. I was thinking the other day with it being, well, December almost, that in just a few months it's going to be tax day. I hate tax day. And every year I say, I'm going to get on it this year. Nope. I'm like, when does it have to be postmarked? And just just anguish and, and worry and all of that kind of stuff because I know it's coming. But here's the thing. When Jesus says, look, I will come like a thief in a knife, we don't know when he's coming. So we just got to be ready all the time. The third thing that we see is that your actions today will determine your eternity. In verses 4 and 5, we see that there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. And I will never erase their names from the book of life. But I will announce before my father and his angels that they are mine. Folks, overconfidence leads to a false sense of security and laziness. Those who never stand for Christ will never know the victory of standing for Christ. Because they won't be ready for it. Just like the people of Sardis, we are at war with the enemy named Satan. And the battle is for your very soul this day. Taking a nap and waiting to take a stand at a later date means that you are ripe pickings for what Satan wants to throw at you. Just like Sardis, they were not defending themselves at all. And then the enemy found a way in a secret passage to get to him. Better yet, if you are doing nothing for Christ, he's not going to mess, Satan's not going to mess with you because he already has you right where he wants you. Jesus commends the faithful few here. It's kind of ironic. In the letters to Thyatira and Pergamum we studied earlier, There were a few bad apples among a largely good congregation. And now we have here a largely dull, lazy congregation with just a few faithful people in it. In the Bible, it talks about they being clothed with white garments. In the Bible, if nakedness was a symbol of sin and clothing was a symbol of holiness, especially White clothes. Now, some of you might be saying, well, preacher, (laughs) I'll go ahead and tell you. If I'm wearing white robes, they ain't so white because I've done some stuff. I got news for you. I've done some stuff. Believe it or not. And probably at some point, I'm going to do some more stuff that's going to get my my white garments dirty. 
But that is why we have the blood of Jesus Christ that has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. That meaning that when we do accumulate soil, he is better than oxyclean. He will, he will clean our garments. He will clean our souls and he will make us new just as if we have never sinned. So if your garments aren't so, so white today, return to him. Pray to him. Ask for forgiveness and he will cleanse you right where you are. Notice he says, they will walk with me. They will walk with me, those faithful few. The difference between the majority of the dead believers at the church in Sardis and the faithful few was their holiness and purity. You cannot walk with God and live an impure life. Remember, God cannot stand sin. He cannot even look at sin. When your sin and my sin were placed on Jesus on the cross, the sky went dark because God could not even look at His own Son because your sin and my sin was placed upon Him. So don't think that you just got a little sin and God can handle that. He cannot because He is a holy, just, and righteous God. So it's not up to Him to give us a pass. It's up to us to ask for forgiveness and cleansing for what we have done. And that is something Sardis refused to do. But the best reward for resisting and repenting of your sin is you get to walk closer with Jesus. Today, Jesus doesn't look at the condition of your clothes, my friend. He looks at the condition of your heart. And let's talk just for a minute as we we close out our time this morning. Let's talk about this book of life we've heard a lot about. Again, he says, I will never erase, or some translations say blot out. I will never erase or blot out their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Some people will say this, and they will look at it, and they will say, well, see right there, that means you can lose your salvation. All Jesus has to do is just mark your name out, and you're gone. You're history. You're a crispy critter. You're a charcoal briquette. You have no chance. That's not what this verse is saying. What this verse is saying is saying, look, for those faithful few that walk the narrow road, your name will not be blotted out. Your name will not be erased. And that term, blotted out or erasing from the book, is actually, in the ancient world, the only way to get blotted out of the city register, which they also called the book of life, the only way to get blotted out of the, of the city register, the book of life, was to either A, die, or B, be convicted of a crime. And if you were one of those two, your name got blotted out because that's how they kept up with the active citizens that were in the cities. So now does it make a little bit more sense when it says, can someone lose their salvation? No, Jesus is saying this in the context of assurance. It is a word spoken to those faithful few. It's not a mandate on winning or losing one's salvation. It is an assurance that if you are saved and you are faithful, that your name will never be erased from the book of life. It is an assurance that those who know Jesus, love Jesus, they love others, and they serve Jesus, and they will be with him for an eternity. Because I have seen in my life, and you may have seen people too, that once carried a, a so-called spark for the Lord. That they, I've, I've seen people that they've preached, 
They've had ministries, and then something happens. I don't know what happens, but all of a sudden they renounce everything. It's, it's really it's happening a lot in the, music, the Christian music community here lately, too. People are just saying, look, it's a lie. I don't believe this stuff, and you shouldn't either. They're, so, so you tell me, were they saved and they've backslidden? Or were they never saved at all? I don't know, but if Jesus says to deny me before men, is I will deny you before my Father. If you can deny Jesus and say, no way, no how, then i got a serious doubts on your original commitment. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know why people backslide. I don't know why people rescind their faith and work so hard against it after that. It is obviously a work or a tool of the devil, but do not be do not be dismayed today because when you hear a preacher, especially hellfire and brimstone preachers, and I mean, my face is probably getting a little red now because I, I mean, I get excited about this stuff, but you don't hear a lot about this stuff in church. But if you look in your Bibles in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, let me show you this. This is about the book of life. It is real. It says in verse 11 of Revelation 20, and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it, the earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead, and the death and the grave, or Hades, gave up their dead. So at that point, at this great white throne judgment, we are seeing not only the rapture, but we are seeing the judgment for those of us as believers for what we did and what we didn't do while we were here on the earth. And it says that all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is a second death. And anyone whose name is not found recorded in the book of life will be thrown into the fire. My friend, if your name is not on the Lamb's book of life, you will spend eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. A place of eternal lake of fire. Just as your bodies are going to be transformed to live with Jesus forever, those that do not know Jesus, their bodies are going to be transformed to endure torment for eternity. And if you get mad at me saying this, I'm sorry. Better yet, no, I'm not. Because it's right here. It's it's truth. It's Jesus. So knowing our names are written in the book of life gives us reason to rejoice. Finally, you must heed Jesus' warning to take your faith seriously. He says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 6, Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. This message is for everyone today. All of us in here have ears, right? To anyone with ears. Everybody got ears? Reach up and touch your ears. Make sure you got them. We all got ears. So this message is for all of us. It's for you and I. You can know that your name is in the book of life and that your assurance of eternity is secure. Do not take your faith for granted today but become and become spiritually soft like those at Sardis did.
It's time to wake up, church. It's time to wake up as a church. It's time to wake up as leadership. It's time to wake up as an individual. Do not bank your eternity on a dead faith. But repent and return to Him today. And get in His Word. And get on your knees and pray.